Hello, my loves, and welcome back to my channel. I'm so excited. Um, even though this video was pre-recorded because I had tonsillitis when I was interviewing my guests. So why I'm excited is because today's guest is none other than Dr. Sean Baker. Now, um, Dr. Sean Baker is an orthopedic surgeon from California, I believe. And he's the well, he's, he's considered to be the founding father of the carnivore diet, which is so controversial. There's been all this talk about like carnivore diets. Do they work? Do they not work? Do they cause colon cancer? Do, do they cause heart attacks? And of course, you have the vegans that absolutely hate Dr. Sean Baker. So, but he kind of like makes fun of the whole thing. It's just so funny. So in this video, we will be talking about um, how eating meat is probably not the worst thing that you could do. Now, you guys know that I tried the carnivore diet and I did not die. I'm still here. So um, this video was very insightful because I've always been curious about people from past generations who have just consumed meat. So why can't we? So as usual, I do remain pretty much open to the possibility that one diet does not cure all problems. So without further ado, let's get into the video. Um, just on a little side note, this is part one of this interview. Um, part two will be going up next week because we were talking for nearly two hours. So I had to cut out like quite a few things. So enjoy guys. And if you learned a thing or two, give me a comment and a big thumbs up. Enjoy guys. I want to thank you so much um, for coming on here. Sure. Um, it's a pleasure. Now, I first heard of you. So I've been a fan of Michaela Peterson's for nearly about a year now. And I've had my own health issues. Now, she's claimed that she's completely cured herself through a carnival diet. And that's kind of how I found you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and like what you do? Sure. Yeah. So I, okay. So, uh, you know, my name is Dr. Sean Baker. I'm a, I am a, uh, orthopedic surgeon by training. I, you know, I trained as a, as a, you know, medical professional, uh, spent uh, several decades practicing as a, you know, as a surgeon. Um, mm. I, I trained in the United States. Um, I also was a fairly well accomplished athlete, you know, throughout my life and career. And I continue to compete, you know, as an athlete. Mm. Um, I, uh, was uh, at some point in the military, I, I spent two two tours in the military. The first time I was launching nuclear bombs for the United States, which you know, know some why. people find a little interesting. And then I came, I went back in as a trauma surgeon and did, did a lot of time, a lot of you know, combat war trauma, uh, particularly in Afghanistan and, and then uh, led a surgical group uh, until I, uh, you know, about, uh, I guess it's been about, what is this, 20, 21, but six years ago, uh, left practicing pri primarily practicing surgery surgery and have uh, focused on lifestyle uh, i founded a company uh we which we use basically animal-based diets mm -hmm. uh to you know help people with various uh you know health issues and we've yep. been very successful with that and we've helped many thousands of people by you know basically you know using an animal-based elimination diet you know at least initially and uh seen just tremendous results um i am uh you know uh I guess I, I spent some time on social media, host podcasts, you know, I'm the CEO of the company. Uh, so I, you know, I, I you know, it's a very different role than what I, what I, what I sort of started out. I, I had no 
10 years ago, I'd never thought in a million years this is what I'd be doing. But uh, suffice to say, that's what I do. I'm kind of one of the, you know, probably a major proponents of this style of, of dieting. You know, there's there's a few other people that have, that have kind of come into that space. You mentioned Michaela, you know, more as a, you know, just as someone who's benefited. And she has a, a large platform, you know, in, in part due to the, the, the fame of her father and the fact that she has such a compelling story. Uh, but, you know, I, I do this, you know, just as a, uh, uh, the goal is to try to, to, to sort of hopefully change people's minds around the healthfulness of, of eating meat mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, honestly to help as many people as possible. So that's, you know, that's kind of what I spend my day doing now. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fortunately rewarded with literally every single day, uh, you know, people telling me that, you know, Hey, look, I dramatically improved my health. My life is infinitely better since I've, you know, sort of, you know, kind of followed what you were, you were suggesting I do. So that's kind of who I am in a, I guess in a nutshell. Okay. okay. Uh, what happened was I was working in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a head surgeon. I was very popular. Mm-hmm. I was one of the most productive surgeons in the hospital. Uh, about a year after I, you know, one of the reasons I adopted, you know, changing diet was my own mm-hmm. health. You know, even though I was a world-class athlete, I just won world championships and things like the Highland Games and some of these other sports. I was training extremely hard, but my, my health was starting mm-hmm. to, you know, kind of, I was 40, I think 43 or something like yeah. that. And I just started noticing my health go down. And so I started, you know, my own health journey. And then I found, you know, basically through low carbohydrates and even ketogenic diets at that time, that I started to use it with some of our patients. And some of my patients that, that had needed to lose weight, primarily the motivation was a lot of patients were sort of at high risk for surgical complications, particularly around joint replacements, like knee replacements. And so we, you know, we would, you know, as surgeons try to get people to lose weight and we were usually unsuccessful. Most people didn't lose weight. And we sometimes would send them to the bariatric surgeon to have, you know, some sort of gastric bypass or bariatric mm-hmm. procedure. Um, but I started employing these low carbohydrate ketogenic diets uh, on my patients after I discovered it for myself. And what happened was not only were they losing weight effectively, but many of them, uh, in fact, many of them, even before they lost weight, started saying that their, you know, that their orthopedic complaint, their knee, their knee pain, which we had had them on the surgery schedule for, was no longer a problem. They didn't have pain anymore. And I thought that was wonderful because I was, you know, able to have somebody avoid a surgery. Unfortunately, the hospital didn't really think it was as wonderful because they really like you to do a lot of surgeries as a surgeon. And when you're talking about canceling surgeries, um, that's not in their best interest, you know. And uh, I, you know, I, I, I requested, you know, even though I was ahead of the surgical group, I requested said, hey, look, I would like to spend one day a week doing lifestyle type medicine, you know, and that that request was repeatedly turned down. I eventually went on my own way and just did it my did it on, did it on my own because I felt strongly about it. And that led to uh, an investigation by the hospital, which ended up with this kind of this sham peer review process. Uh, it went to the state. The state said, hey, you can, we can investigate this. It'll probably take us a year and it'll cost you a couple hundred thousand dollars, mm-hmm. or you can temporarily surrender your license and be independently, independently evaluated. Oh, okay. So I chose that route. I went in because I, I said I, I can't get a fair deal with these guys. I know they're 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 biased. In fact, the, the the chief financial officer of the hospital later told me, "Hey, look, they they totally, you know, pulled the rug out from under you. It was it was, it was just a hit job." But but anyway, I went to the independent evaluators in a, in a different state. They they looked at everything and they said, "Hey, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Go back to work." Uh, the, the state, you know, oh, you know, it's an administrative time, but the state then gave me my license back and said, hey, you're welcome to come back to practice, you know, because you've been out for a couple of years now and it's, it mm-hmm. took two, two or three years, this process, um, you need to, you know, 
practice under somebody initially. And yeah. by this point, I had already founded a company and I was like, I'm not really excited about that. So, uh, so the, the, the terminology, you know, being revoked in the circumstances around that, cause I get, I, I see that a lot. I get slandered all the time in these, by these newspaper articles. The first thing they do is blah, blah, blah. Dr. Becker's license was revoked in 2017. Mm. They never go on to say, well, his license was restored. Uh, you know, any of this stuff. But, but, but anyway, that's that's the long and short of that. The end result is, I mean, as horrible as that process was, and it was, it was truly, uh, you know, because I, you know, I'd always strive to do my best for my patients. My patients love me. Uh, I had a very, very good medical record. You know, I mean, I had just, you know, very low complications. Uh, and uh, despite that, I, I it, became, it, it made me very jaded about the medical practice. It opened my eyes up to the you know, the profit before patient uh, mentality that we see and, and how endemic it was. And so, you know, the more I looked in it, the more jaded I became. And, you know, at that point, I mean, I'm just, I'm just so much happier now, even though it was financially very, you know, it was, it was a big blow. You know, you spend your whole life mm-hmm. training for this decade, you know, 13 years of education and all the heartache and sleepless hours and staying up all night to, to do this. And then you know have some people yank it away because they don't like the fact that you're 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 cutting into their their bottom line. Um, yeah, I mean it took it took many years to to sort of recover from that. Um, unfortunately, you know, you know, and I'm I'm a competitor, and I, you know I like I'm somebody that pushes hard, and we've kind of righted the ship and turned things around, and uh, um, you know here I am today. And, and so I'm I'm ultimately thinking, in the long run, this will actually be a good thing. You know, I'm still at the point where I'm, I'm, you know, kind of like, well, it's not that bad, but it, but, you know, I think ultimately it's going to be a very good thing for, for me and, and hopefully the people I'm able to impact. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you have to, you know, do the right thing despite what it costs you. And that and is true. Ultimately, you know, hopefully, hopefully it'll work out in the, in the end for me. And I think it will. I'm, I'm, comp- I'm you know, optimistic for sure. Well done. <laughs> um, so you're known as the founding father of the carnival diet. So can you tell me how you kind of got into this way of like lifestyle? Sure. Well, I mean, I've always, you know, like I said, I mentioned I've been an athlete. I've, you know, I've mm. got, you know, I've set world records in a number of different sports. I've mm. been world champion in a number of different sports. I've always prioritized health and fitness and 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 performing well. And you know, of course, as a surgeon, you know, that's part of that. Uh, but as far as, you know, the dietary component was not something I learned about in medical school. We certainly didn't learn mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, l- you know, dietary impacts of, you know, orthopedic diseases. This doesn't exist. You look in the textbooks, it's not there. Um, and so largely that aspect came through my own journey is wanting to be healthy and, and not understanding why someone who, you know, worked very hard athletically and trained hard, ate what I thought was a generally a healthy diet. Uh, was starting to develop metabolic syndrome and you know sleep apnea and high blood pressure and all the things that 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 I was starting to deal with you know in my 40s and you know as a physician I was like God, I gotta be smart enough to figure this out uh, so that's what kind of started me down that path and then um, as far as uh, you know where I ended up I mean it wasn't just like one day I said well I'm just gonna eat all meat I mean I I, I critically looked at lots and lots of evidence I you know I, I you know just kind of in my mind and I, you know, you, you know, a lot of people attribute, you know, the, and, and in fact, I didn't name this the carnivore diet. It was my, it was, you know, that was my personal decision and very, de- very deliberate decision to call this a carnivore diet. There were people doing this, at least, you know, you know social media wise, they called it a zero carb diet, which I thought was kind of confusing in the fact that, mm. you know, because you could be eating Diet Coke and, 
canola oil or West, you know, and Crisco, and it could still be a zero carb diet. So it's, it, I think it was, it was more deliberate to say, look, meat is a part of this diet. And, um, you know, like I said, my journey took me through a number of different dietary strategies. Uh, and I, you know, I tried low fat, lots and lots of vegetables, lean meats, um, that actually was pretty, uh, you know, actually pretty successful for me losing weight initially when I when I initially transitioned from a, you know, I'll put it, I'll, let's see, in, in kilograms is 130 kilo, six foot five Highland Games athlete to slimming down to a mere 110 kilos and oh, wow. uh, uh, breaking world records on, on uh, in rowing. And so uh, that was uh, what, what that, that got me to that lighter weight. Uh, well, I mean, I hadn't broken the world records, but I got my, got my weight down quite a bit pretty quickly. Uh, unfortunately, that low fat, high vegetable based diet was just miserable for me from, a, from, a, uh, from how I felt, how my energy was, my mm -hmm. digestion was, my mood was, I was just not happy at all. That was not something I could have sustained uh, for long term. I mean, I was just, I was just chronically hungry all the time. And I didn't like that. Uh, for someone who, I mean, had always eaten a lot my whole life, you can imagine being 130 kilos, you eat a lot, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, so then I went through this progression of, you know, that, and then I, then I found this paleolithic diet, and then I transitioned to low carb and ketogenic. And then uh, about five years ago, about five and a half years ago, I guess it's been now, I, I, I started, I stumbled across these people that were doing this all meat diet. And I thought, wow, that's, that sounds crazy. Like everybody's first response, right? Everybody says, well, that sounds nuts. And then I, you know, then I started looking at the arguments and well, you know, there's been societies throughout history that have eaten basically all meat mm -hmm. or close to all meat diets for thousands and thousands of years. And so there's still people today you can find, you know, you can look at some of the people in, you know, northern parts of Scandinavia and Russia and, you know, those places and some of the pastoralist uh, folks in Africa still eat basically an almost exclusively meat diet. Maybe they may have a few berries here and there, but it's basically a meat-based diet. And generally their health was regarded to be very good, you know, by most people. There's some people like within the plant-based com community, which engage in some re revisionist history, trying to say, oh no, they weren't really healthy. They were really sickly and there's no real evidence to really support that other than some very tenuous data. Um, you know, meat-based diets, you know, being used and employed for health purposes go back to like the, the late 1600s was a Scottish surgeon, I forget his name, but he was doing uh, all meat-based diets for people with diabetes way back then. And it's been employed over and over again. And there's many doctors that have done this over here. So I certainly did not invent this or the first guy invented. And, you know, there's plenty of anthropologic and archaeologic evidence to suggest that at many points during human evolution, man engaged in you know, near carnivorous or fully carnivorous diets. I think that's pretty clear by most of the literature out there. I mean, it, you know, obviously we incorporated plants and at some point, some people point to about a time about 80,000 years ago, which I think is probably consistent with most of the anthropologic records. But um, so, you know, as far as what, what sort of influenced me, you know, there, like I said, this, this group of people, you know, so there were several thousand at the time all doing it and all reporting pretty, uh, interesting improvements in their health. And I had already seen some of those things on a low carb and a ketogenic diet. Uh, and, but, you know, I, I said, well, heck, I like, you know, I kind of like steaks. I don't mind steak and eggs. I'll do that for a couple of days. I did it for a couple of days and nothing bad happened to me. So then I was like, well, I'm going to do it now for, let me try a week. Did a week and felt pretty good. And that was two weeks. And then I finally, I, I remember late 2016. So this is about, you know, getting close, close to five years ago. I said, I'm gonna do it for 30 days. And I was, you know, I was just starting on social media. I think I had a few thousand followers on Twitter. And I said, hey, look guys, I'm gonna do an all meat diet. 
And, you know, I kind of laughingly said, you know, what am I going to die of? I remember I conducted a poll. Am I going to die of scurvy? Am I going to have a heart attack? Is my colon going to fall out? I can't remember something. I can't remember what it was. And then we all had a good laugh and joke about it. And so I did a 30 days and I, you know, actually I was like, wow, I actually feel really good. I mean, everything felt good. And, you know, I I saw some positive changes in my health and, you know, the 30 days up, I said, well, that was a neat experiment. I'm going to go back to my sort of, sort of omnivorous diet, you know, my mixed diet of fruits and vegetables and meat and, you know, you know, just kind of healthy omnivorous diet. And I went back to that and, you know, within 24 hours, I was like, wow. I don't feel this good. My digestion sucks. My energy sucks. Some of the aches and pains that had gone away uh, by going all meat came right back. And I thought that's pretty unusual. And I said, well, you know, I really like feeling good. You know, and as an athlete, I like performing good. So I mm-hmm. said, okay, I'm going to go back to all meat. And so I did that. And then uh, I think within one of the things that really blew me away, within about two months of me doing starting from the beginning, um, I had this chronic, pretty bad tendonitis in my right knee. It, it, was, it, was, it was something that bothered me pretty much every day. And it would impact my training ability, my ability to, to you know, do leg workouts, squats and run sprints. And, and, you know, and, you know, it just, it just bothered me. And I thought it was with me for the rest of my life. I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a 50 year old orthopedic surgeon. I, I kind of know how to treat tendonitis. I do that all the time. My patient, I know all the tricks. I've done all the tricks. It's just part of aging. Uh, and then uh, two months, it went away. I was like, wow, it doesn't hurt. And it's never hurt oh. since then. It's been five years since it's come back. So I thought that was that was just shocking to me. Within six months, uh, I was on this Concept Two rowing machine, and I broke three world records. You know, and I was like, you know, just because I'd gotten stronger and my performance, my recovery got better, and I just, I mean, everything got better. And I was like, this is really, really interesting. And then, and then a lot of people, you know, kind of. Uh, just got interested. I got picked up on a, a podcast by a, guy named, by a guy named Joe Rogan, who you probably heard of. Yeah, that's right. So Joe, Joe's got a big popular podcast, and that obviously thrust a lot of limelight on me. And of course, immediately, I got a lot of attention from the vegans. The vegans just hated that I was telling people that meat was not bad for you. They hated it. And so they came out and, you know, everything from you're the devil, hope you're so roast in hell, hope your family died. I mean, I got this nonstop hate from these guys. And so you know, I kind of push back on that. You know, I just like, this is bullshit. I'm going to, sorry about the cussing, but I was just like, I'm going to push back and I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to just sit there and take it. I'm going to push back. And so then that just stirred him up and even more. So now I just kind of, sometimes, you know, I engage in kind of just goofy stuff, you know, you know, kind of. I've seen that. Enter- it is hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, entertaining stuff, you know, and this is the thing. I mean, at the end of the day, I want people to get healthy, regardless of how you do. If a vegan diet gets you healthy, do a vegan diet. I, I, I'm, I'm not convinced it's the best way, to say the least. But what I will say is, you know, when these people tell people that you must eat my way, or we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, all meat eaters are evil people. And that includes your parents and everybody else you've ever known on the planet, by the way. Uh, when they start engaging in that, or trying to ban it, or trying to uh, limit our capacity, or you know, like one of the uh, former uh, members of the United Nations saying that meat eaters should be, uh, you know, basically considered second class citizen and, and not being allowed to eat in restaurants and forced on forces. This is somebody that's high up in, you know, these organizations. I mean, it's just nuttiness. And so I think we have to push back on that. So I, I push back pretty hard. I really do. And I, and I understand it's not for everybody. Some people find it too, too aggressive and, and, you know, but at the end of the day, I think, you have to, as, as you probably know, the way to get your information out there is to get people to listen to you. And if nobody 100%. is interested, 
and you got to do you got to engage in the entertaining aspect of it you know you got I mean, I, i've seen some people out there with just incredible incredibly good health information you know good you know, they put up research studies and no one cares no yeah. one looks at it it's too boring i know whenever i put up whenever i put up medical studies i get about one-tenth of the engagement that i that if i put up some goofy you know yep. vegan thing so it's just it's just and that's just the way it is and so you know you got to do what what works i guess at the end of the day and uh, you know i try to try to lure people in or catch people's attention and then say hey oh by the way this is what the science actually says <laughs> and some of that rubs off and so i think we're you know we're, we're, we're making progress for sure okay very interesting um so can you break down the carnivore diet because i think people are confused i know people that believe it's like a keto diet but you remove all the fruits for example yeah and so uh, first of all i want to say that this isn't uh, the opposite of veganism and, and veganism is really an ideology i mean it really mm-hmm. is it's it's you know how dare you eat a mollusk or you know a scallop or something like that and i you know if somebody eats a meat-based diet and they have a few blueberries or you know the you know whatever uh, the, the piece of dark chocolate or avocado it's not really a big deal for most people uh, but but basically, you know, a carnivore diet, it's basically meat-based. It is an animal-based diet, you know, animal foods, primarily meat. And it can be any sorts of meat. But most people tend to gravitate towards uh, what we call ruminant animals, ruminant meat. Those, those would be cows and they would be sheep and those would be deer and elk and, and goat and those types of animals. Uh, you know, uh, certainly people can eat pork and chicken, which are considered monogastric animals. It's a technical difference in the way they digest things. But so, you know, it's animal-based food. That's your, that is the, the, the main majority, if not all of the diet. There are some people that eat strictly nothing but animal products. There are people that eat nothing but beef, 100% beef diet. And that can be part of it. But what I like to say, when I give talks around the world about this stuff, I say, look, the focus is on animal-based foods. This is the base this is the, the vast majority of your food plant food can be part of it most people however either significantly limit them or completely eliminate eliminate them and it's as needed with the goal being you know improvements in health i mean this is the whole gist of it so there's some people in fact i did a nice survey on about 10,000 people doing this diet and you know the majority of the people end up being about 90 percent so 90% of their diet is meat, 10% comes from various other things, whether it's, um, you know, a little bit of fruit, you know, maybe some, you know, uh, eggs and dairy are, one of those, are kind of those things that some people tolerate, some people, it's, it's pretty interesting um, where we see that, you know, even, even among the animal foods, there mm-hmm. tends to be, you know, different levels of tolerance. You know, some people do fine with dairy. Most people, in my, in my opinion, don't do fine with a lot of dairy. And certain types of dairy tend to be problematic for some people. Or some people can have some butter or ghee and, and a little bit of hard cheese, or other, and, and where, whereas milk will bother them or you know yogurts will bother them or something like that it's just it's just kind of individualized we're trying to we're still trying to figure that's one of the goals of this company meter x we, you know where we're looking at adding some uh, artificial intelligence machine learning to our data from the people to figure out who benefits you know who would likely benefit from including dairy eggs you know certain mm-hmm. fruits certain vegetables certain you know starches and stuff like that and that so that's something we're one of the directions we're going to take this thing in the next, you know, few years as we as we continue to progress and we we get more uh, uh, ability to do that. Um, but you know, the diet, you know, it's it's you know, it's, it's it tends to be very simple. I, I don't have any hard and fast rules. Uh, I know there's some people out there that try to really complicate it and saying, you know, you must eat, you know, only this type of beef or this type of meat, and you must eat 
a certain percentage of organ meats and you must eat, you know, this, this amount of collagen. And it's, it's, those are all artifices are, you know, they, there's no real science that backs it up. In fact, the results, again, I, I, I base this on results and the people that I've seen and, and the results seem to show that there's no real, you can't make that. I mean, there's people out there that'll say, well, if you don't eat organ meats and if you don't, you know, do this and that you, you're, you're, you're not going to be optimized and you're just kind of, you're just kind of in this beginner stage. I always push back against it because that's not true at all. That's not what the, that's not what the evidence shows. Uh, Harvard University has done a study on this carnivore population. Uh, it's not yet published yet. It's, it's soon to be published. I've seen the data and I, and I know that, you know, I know the researchers personally, and I've talked to them about the data. I didn't, I didn't have any input on the, into the, into the data selection or that, you know, but uh, uh, what they told me, and I asked, I asked them specifically, can you please look at organ meats and, you know, different types of meat, you know, whether it's grass finished or grain finished, and does it have an impact on outcome and their results will show there's really no difference. It doesn't really make a difference. And that's what I've seen. That's consistent with what I've seen. Now, I, I you know, we can have the, the, the talk about the environmental impacts. I think that's a wholly different, that's a completely different story. But I mean, when we stick to just the health aspect of it, um, you know, you'd be surprised, you know, just cutting out, I think the act of just cutting out the modern garbage food, you know, we all know what that is. It's ultra processed junk that's not even food that fills up 90% of our grocery store shelves. Just by cutting that out is so incredibly powerful. Uh, it makes such a huge difference that the other stuff becomes minuscule, becomes minor in importance. You know, I see people complaining about, oh my gosh, how dare you eat this cow that had some grain in its diet? while at the same time they're eating, you know, Tim Tams or whatever, you know, whatever you guys in Austria, you know, I'm, I'm using your references there because I used to live in that part of the world. So I got it, some of that, but you know, so it's, it's kind of craziness that they, that they do that. But yeah, the diet is just meat based. You know, we tell people, Hey, how much do you eat? Because a lot of people ask me how much you eat. Yeah, I yeah. saw that you consume 4,500 calories per day. Is it true? Yeah, that's generally what I do. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's an estimate. It's not, I don't sit there with a scale and calculate it. I mean, I mean, I just know because I'm eating roughly, you know, two kilos of meat a day, you know, I mean, that's, again, that two sounds kilos. like a lot. I'm a big person. I am a, I'm not yeah. a small person and I exercise very hard. I'm, you know, I'm a world-class athlete. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, when I, you know, I'm six foot five, I'm 240 pounds or 110 kilos. Yeah. I might be a little more than I might be. That makes sense. Twelve kilos right now, but, but yeah. So I eat a lot, and and, and but that's not the typical. I'm the typical. I'm, I'm I'm you know most people are probably half that, or maybe you know some of the females even a third of that. Uh, but you know, as far as how much do I tell the average person? One of the issues that many people do when they come to this diet, they really struggle with food addiction. It is such a common issue. It's tough to give up these foods because mm-hmm. they taste delicious. They are often very cheap. They are everywhere. We're bombarded by it constantly. The marketing, you know, the, the, the social pressure to eat this stuff is everywhere. So it's very difficult to give that up. And so one thing nice about this carnivore diet elimination diet is if you completely eliminate this stuff 100% from your diet, which most people do when they do this, it becomes easier to give up. It's kind of a, kind of, kind of like an alcoholic trying to give up alcohol by drinking just you know, one one drink a night. It doesn't really, it doesn't never really pans out very well. So the same thing with these food addictions. And so when I tell people how much to eat, generally it's like eat enough food so you don't want, you know, the cake or the cupcakes or the pizza or the you know the the, the whatever problematic foods you have. And that usually is how people start this diet. And, and and sometimes it's a lot of food. Some people are like, well, I'm eating a lot. Some people even gain weight initially because they have to eat enough to get over the food addiction. But once they get to that point. And that point might take a month. It might take three months. 
then things start to normalize and they're like, I can change my, you know, so it's so important to change our relationship with food. So instead of eating for stress relief or, or comfort or uh, social occasions or peer pressure because I'm bored or, you know, all the other reasons we eat because we're not really hungry, you change your relationship where now you're eating when you're actually hungry, when your body actually needs food, appetite regulation and satiety become very well uh, in tune. You know, you think about every single wild animal on the planet, not a single one of them has to look at a, you know, a fitness tracker or an app or count, count, count calories or any of that thing. Mm. They just eat kind of their natural, you know, design diet that they evolved with based on the location in the world. They not, they, they, they did. And they, they maintain, you know, they, they're not obese. They're, they're not mm-hmm. riddled with chronic disease like humans are. I mean, humans are not designed. You think about it. I mean, there are people now in their twenties that have chronic disease. I mean, you know, and they're living, yeah, and they're going to, and you know, you potentially could live for 50, 60, 70 years of your life in a state of chronic disease. That is not how anything is supposed to live. I mean, we, I, you know, I, I fully believe we're supposed to live a robust, full life, be healthy, functional, everything's supposed to work. And then when we're 80 years old or whatever it's going to be, we drop dead of something and die very quickly. I mean, that's how it generally has worked throughout most of time. You know, you know, historically people have you know, had traumas and infections and things like that that cut people's lives short. But, you know, there were people living, you know, to old age, you know, 500 years ago. You know, Da Vinci, I think he lived 83. You know, this is, you know, this is how many hundreds of years ago was that? And so chronic disease is a relatively modern invention, so to speak, and that's based upon our uh, food supply for the most part. It's not that no one had chronic disease, you know, disease like this ever, but it's, it was pretty unusual. Yeah, no, that's actually untrue. So um, I have like 30 questions for you, but we have a time limit. So I want to talk about, um, you were talking about chronic disease. Now, um, I was I was diagnosed with two chronic diseases about two years ago. Now, I'm 25. So I was told that I had insulin resistance and then I was put on a metformin. And then that actually ruined my entire gut, right? This is about two, two years back. Um, and then I came across the keto diet. So I have been keto for nearly six months. I'm down to a size 10 again for um, after plateauing for two years, I could not lose a pound. I was like stuck. And then I found the carnivore diet. Um, I found your book and I did the carnivore diet for six weeks. I lost a further six kilos. I'm now a size eight, I think. And then it kind of got to the point where I really felt really blocked up as in I couldn't use the toilet. So I feel as though people constantly question me as to if you're consuming a carnivore diet, how do you use the toilet? I mean, for me, like perhaps maybe I wasn't following it properly, but the problem for me was using the toilet. So... (laughs) Yeah, so that's an interesting. That's a, that's a, that's not an uncommon question, and mm. so there's a lot of misconceptions around our gastrointestinal system. And there's a there's a you should talk to him. There's a there's a gastroenterologist by the name of Pran Yoganathan. I can't, I don't know if he's in Sydney. I can't remember where he is, I've but heard. I, I talk yep. to him very 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 frequently. We we exchange stuff on social media, and I've I've interviewed Pran several times. Um, one of the things that is a mis- misconception is that meat is somehow blocking up and staying in your colon and you know sitting there and filling up space. 
That, in fact, is not at all what happens to meat. Meat, in fact, is highly, highly digested and digestible uh, within the small intestines. You know, the stomach acid first acts on it, breaks it down in smaller pieces and, you know, kind of starts to hydrolyze it. And then we get to the stomach, the small intestine. And so when we look at people that don't have even colons, you know, people that have what's called an ileostomy, where they've lost their colon, they just go into a bag, meat never goes in there. The thing that they see are vegetables that don't get digested. So that is actually what blocks up your colon. So meat is not blocking up your colon. What a lot of people mistake is, you know, if they come from a high carb diet, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables or fiber or grains, they're going to have bowel movements pretty frequent. They're going to have bowel movements twice a day, in many cases, sometimes three times, at least once a day, very, very common. And that's kind of the, the routine pattern they're in because they're eating all this stuff that we cannot physically digest as humans so we're constantly expelling waste there is no study or evidence to show that constantly expelling waste is better than not constantly expelling waste. so like i said there's no awards at the end of the life for the most bowel movements or the biggest bowel movements that that's just that's just misconceptions now uh what we uh do see is that because of the lack of waste production then many people will say well I, don't, I didn't go today. And they may sit down out of habit and say, I'm going to sit on the toilet and nothing comes out and they're going to translate as that is as being constipation. So that's not actually constipation. Constipation has to do with, you know, you take an x-ray of your belly and there's all kinds of undigested you know, or, or unreleased, un you know, stool in, 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 the, in, the, in the stomach. We don't typically see that. In fact, what we see uh, with constipation is that, uh, you know, when you're talking about being blocked up, is that fiber tends to be what is being stored in, the, in that area. And so uh, there was a nice study, I think it was in 2014, looking at fiber consumption and colon health, you know, particularly with something called diverticulosis, which happens when, you know, you get these little pouches that pop out of your colon because it's perhaps too much pressure causing that. Mm -hmm. And what the study was done by Dr. Ann Peary, uh, she did 2000 colonoscopies on people and she screened them by how much fiber they were eating and how many bowel movements they're having. And guess what happened? The people that ate the most fiber had the most bowel movements, had the worst disease. And so, uh, you know, as far as, you know, colon health, and I will tell you, you know, just as a whole, most people doing this diet report, report tremendous improvements in gastrointestinal function. You know, uh, yes, their their bowel frequency may go down; they may not have any bowel movements, but generally, like bloating and gas and reflux and you know just this 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 constant you know discomfort that people have associated with digestion. And a lot of people normalize, particularly women. I always see women on social media talking about their bloating and how it's normal. And I you know I I push back on that. I, I don't think it's normal. I don't think we are designed to be uncomfortable with a normal physiologic process. You think about that. If any other part of our body was to hurt, you know, if every time you looked at something, your eye hurt, or every time you took a breath, your mm -hmm. lungs hurt, or every time you're moving around, your heart hurt, or every time you walk, your knee hurts, you know, you're going to go to the doctor. What's wrong with me? But we accept yep. the fact that we're bloated and uncomfortable and gassy. And that's supposed to be normal where, you know, I think the real answer is, if that's occurring, either the food you're eating is wrong or mm -hmm. secondarily, maybe your gut is truly sick mm -hmm. and that can happen too. And then whatever yeah. you put in there is going to be a problem. So we said, and you talked about metformin, metformin. as a gut irritant. We, we know it's one of the side effects of metformin. It's one of, you know, that and the fact that it tends to inhibit mitochondrial function, you know, particularly if you're exercising. And so, uh, yeah, some of these medications we put people on do harm people's guts and, uh, but for your case, you know, again, I, I can't say, spe say specifically, but mm -hmm. I suspect 
it may have just been this perception that I'm not going to the bathroom every day, therefore I'm constipated, and that that may be what it was. I mean, there's things you can do. Some people, it's you know, increasing fat content. Some people will find that uh, the removal of things like cheese can can do that because cheese cheese can truly be constipating for people. I've seen that occur. I've seen people when they perhaps don't take a fat in the diet, you know, they might, they might have some, some issues with constipation. Uh, you know, there's people that sometimes if they have too much fat in the diet, they have issues. So it's, it's kind of, there's, there's a kind of a, a little bit of play there, but for most people, it's, it's just, I'm just not going to the bathroom as much, which is fine. Okay. 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 Well, all right. 